Hello and welcome back to a sweltering edition of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere good podcasts are sold. I am your pool party host, Dave Ryan, and I am joined by the usual cast of characters. Unfortunately, Jack Lazell is away on assignment, uh, but fear not as we are joined by the platforming prodigy, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you, my friend? What I would give for Kevin Nash to powerbomb me into a pool right now. Yeah. Oh. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Just one of the, uh, like, just imagine recording the cast at a spring break nitro. Oh, my God. Can you imagine us for? Oh, Club Labelle. Oh, oh Panama oh. City. The Redneck Riviera. <laughs> That's you, a, exactly our speed. Do you know what I would hope? Just we're all standing around eating a packet of Tato crisps of a particular flavor that I'm hoping Garrett has brought with him this week. Mmm. Oh, we will get to that in a second. Um, how have you been surviving the heat, buddy? Um, to be honest, I've I've been you know fairly well distracted with um, you know PSPs. like so, so well with the PSPs and uh, the ongoing uh, cat situation, which is yeah. going well. But um, yes, give give us the the cat date for the week. Oh God! So I mean, she's she's doing you know as as good as one can be, but we had a, a slight um. Uh, scenario shall we say two days ago um so we're in the process of where we're having to give her an injection every morning about half nine uh and the idea is that uh she has to have this injection every day because um it's it's an antivirus and the idea is that while this antivirus is in the system it stops the virus replicating so with the idea that after 85 days the virus hasn't had a chance to replicate anymore, and it's dormant, basically. But that means that we have to do this once a day, because it, you know, it lasts for about 24 hours. Um, now, neither myself or Maria, before uh, starting this, had ever injected uh, another live being or creature before. And uh, fair, fair to say, cats don't particularly enjoy being injected, um, and probably not by two fucking idiots who have no idea what we're doing. No, sorry, one idiot and... Uh, one person in Maria who has kind of actually gotten a grasp of it. But the problem with it is that you can't inject, uh, like, basically straight down because obviously you might hit something that you're not supposed to hit. And as we found out the other day, you can't hit basically, you know, almost a a horizontal uh, angle because if it doesn't go in and get into the blood, basically uh, it creates like a small pouch uh, under the skin, which is, you know, the liquid in there. Uh, which is a bit of a problem for a number of reasons, uh, mostly that the liquid is kind of a low pH, it's quite acidic, um, and if you get any kind of spill of that on the cat and where we have been injecting her, we um, we had to kind of shave the area to be able to like tent the skin in able to be able to do the injection. Um, and so, it you know, it's not like agonizing for the cat, but it still leaves, you know, it, it burns and it needs to be cleaned. Uh, but the other issue as well is obviously that if that pouch is not going into the skin and is leaking back out, as it started to do two days ago, um, then it's not doing the job that it's meant to do. So we had about 45 minutes yesterday or the day before um, basically trying to pinch the skin where the injection was to try and stop like the leakage happening, which, let's be honest, the cat's not having a great time as it is, and now she's having her fucking skin pinched for 45 minutes. Uh, she doesn't like being held for more than about 5 to 10 minutes at a time anyway. While we're desperately trying to figure out what we do, and then, you know, after 45 minutes, having to hold her back down again to give her in second injection of the day. Because, um, you know, she got to the point where I would I have to weigh her every morning to figure out how much of the, the antibiotics we have to give her. 
And as soon as I put the scales down to start, like, the weighing process, she bolts under the table like, yeah, you ain't coming anywhere near me. Um, so it's been a whole ordeal, but the, the positive of it is um, we actually now, there's a, a pill variant that we can start giving her, and we started yesterday with that. Um, yeah. But she's still, you know, happy and as healthy as someone can be for some of the, like, stress that we've put her through for the last two mm. weeks. Uh, but um, she's doing okay. It's um, it's good to hear a positive update, and um, I suppose you're learning just to to what extent it is true that, that cats are an uncooperative species. <laughs> um, very yeah, much. I, she, you, you start to understand why all those people now say, like, you don't have a cat in your house, you live in the cat's house. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. and I really noticed as well, because when I went back to England, um, my grandparents got a dog, uh, like, they actually got two dogs, um, but they have just the, the one dog now. And um, I even after just a couple of days of being with the dog, like, you really... Like, I'd forgotten, basically, what it's like to be around a dog compared to, you know, being around a cat and the complete, like, I came home and I went to, to Mocha, my cat, and I was like, hey, Mocha, come here. And she just looked up at me like, oh, f- fuck off, what do you want? But, <laughs> yeah. you know, with, with my grandparents' dog, like, I didn't even have to enter the room and they were already coming towards me and whatnot. So, um, anyway, that's enough of my animal update. Do this uh, I'm not. Rounding out the panel, as always, he is the nexus of humanity, Gary Kidney. Uh, do you have any stories of, like, shooting up a fucking gerbil or something this week? No, but yesterday, because of the extreme heat, the backdoor neighbor's cat randomly appeared on my windowsill. I just saw, like, a shadow of a cat because the sun sets into this window, so I could see, like, the shadow of the cat on the wall behind me, and I was like, what the fuck is this? So I look out the window, and there's the cat just sitting on the windowsill trying to poke his head in the the open window looking at me. Mm -hmm. It's like, buddy, I know it's hot, but get the fuck out. We um we used to have a cat years ago, before Mark even lived with me, so we went from, like, cat to Mark to cat. Um, The natural evolution. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... We, we yeah we had this cat called Pip and he made like a friend another cat out on the street this ginger cat and uh, it was really funny because at the time um, our old housemate Dan wasn't working so he was at home during the day every day and periodically like he'd you know go for a nap or he'd fall asleep on the couch and he'd wake up and Pip would have brought the other cat into the house and both cats would be asleep beside him. Excellent. Um, the cats just do what they fucking cats want, man. Just do what the fuck they want. It's yeah. Uh, every, you know. every night I hear these cats, and they are either dying, giving birth, or having the wildest sex you've ever heard in your life, because <laughs> they are making furious cat noises for yeah. like twenty minutes at a time. And, and I'm like, and good what, lord, what are you doing out there? Man, they with just how, breed them differently in cork, don't they? Yeah, well, I was going to say, with how quickly cats turn on each other, it could be one then the other. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, you never know. A wild night of, of, of passionate cat sex is not how I thought I would start this podcast, but um, here we are. It's this week's title, uh, Dom. Listen, yeah. we're uh, all suffering from dehydration and heat stroke. It's fine. Yeah. We're all doing all right. Yeah. Ah, oh, guys, I'm fucking delirious with this heat. I made um, a horrible mistake where I went to see Nope today. And I was like, yeah. the, the cinema nearest to me is about an hour and a quarter walk away. And I'm like, I'm going to walk yeah. there and walk no, Not no, walk. No. What are you fucking doing? And it was a huge mistake. Oh, buddy. Because uh, I was going to go, okay, how is this going to go bad? Because, like, cinemas are really air-conditioned. I've been planning. I'm taking a couple of days off next week. And I'm going catching up big time on the cinema to stay out of the heat. Um, Yeah. Oh, that's hideous. I, I had... um. 
I was working outdoors a lot this week. <laughs> so we're coming to the end of um, six weeks straight of doing summer camps and summer programs uh, in work. Uh, and for one of those programs, part of it is um, a scavenger hunt. So I spent like, it was 30 degrees Celsius yesterday and I spent like the whole afternoon outside. I looked like I was, you know, medium well done by the time I came back in. Um, and then I was telling them there's like this, so the youth cafe in the town I work in, which we kind of like help run, was reopening today. And they were, I was like, oh, do you want to come down? And they were like, well, um, will it be as hot as it was today? And I just took out the weather app on my phone. I was like, nope, hotter. Um... <laughs> It was it was one of those days where like they had an ice cream van at it, and the and ice cream van my, melted. Well, I I'd go up and get my ice cream, and by the time I walked from like the front yard to the front door, the thing was like just gloop nearly. I'm, I'm gonna go on a limb, having only lived here for six to seven years now, but this is mm-hmm. I presume like the warmest summer that you two have encountered. Um, it, it to me it's the warmest couple of days in a like in a long long time. I like I can't say ever um for sure but uh it do- put it this way it doesn't often notch past 30 here mm-hmm. and if it does it's not for long and this is supposed to last another what three days yeah, like the warmest temperature in the history of our state is 33 degrees and that was like 1890 yeah. or something like that mm. there's definitely been like because like we like obviously we're in a midlands ish county nearly um, so sometimes when there's no wind, there's like, you know, you see those weather forecasts where it's like 28, but with no wind. So it feels like, yeah. you know, well, what, so there's been those kind of days. When we had the, the heat wave the other week, uh, it got up to what, like 32, 33 degrees. And that was a Phoenix yeah. Park, which is about 10 minutes from my house. So yeah. I, I got the full brunt of that. But we uh, we spent the last two evenings by the sea. Uh, mm. So, you know, our way to uh, to counter was literally just to fucking dunk ourselves in the sea for the evening. And it works. Yeah. I was like, I brought out one of my, I have one of those big, like, two-liter drums of water that I bring to work every single day, and I brought it out with me on the scavenger hunt, and within ten minutes I had abandoned drinking it, and it was just periodically <laughs> pouring it on my head. Um, it really is an oh uphill boy. battle and, to stay hydrated, isn't it? A yeah, losing yeah. one, too. I've always been one of those people that, like, I prefer it to be, like, too cold here than too hot, because, like, you can keep putting on layers, keep turning on heaters and things like that. But, like, at a certain point in the heat, as an Irishman, you're just starting to get tempted to remove your own skin. Um, <laughs> it's it's real bad. Um, Garrett, um, Mark speaking mentioned of bad. it. Speaking of bad, uh, Mark mentioned there at the start that you had made a promise to us. Uh, about something you were going to do this week on the show. Listen, some um, might say that I forgot to go buy the crisps, but it's just Jack's not here. So <laughs> no, really, I did actually go looking for them today. I, I checked in three shops on the way home from seeing Nope, and they didn't have them. So I will have to continue. I'll have to expand my search beyond these shops to try and find these. Right. Garrett, Garrett here is my commitment to mm-hmm. you. I am going to look over this weekend for them also. And mail them to me? And if you if, if you have not procured them by Wednesday, I am going to post them okay. to you for Friday. <laughs> I will look. Uh, Brothers in arms. Because if I had to, you have to. <laughs> I'll expand my search into the actual city centre. I'm sure somewhere will happen yeah, there. Because all, all your smack talk about them, they can't possibly be that bad. <laughs> Is gonna uh, you will rue the day, sir. I mean, rue the day. Tell you what, tell you what, Garrett, I'll even join in this. I wasn't even part of the original conversation, but I feel like I have to be involved now as well. Yeah, well that's so, the sense of the yeah, Jack you know. now too. I well, have no yeah, problem. Yeah. I have no problem making him suffer. <laughs> I are. I already have his address. I'd actually have to ask you to. 
Um, actually, I think I have your address, Mark. I mean, you've been to my house, so... Yeah, I, I, yeah, that doesn't mean I have your address. Uh, I mean, with Google Maps, I don't know where anything is anymore, yeah, actually. That's true. That's <laughs> um, yeah. Um, well, he aside, let's talk about uh, what we've been seeing this week. And since you already told us of your... I just picture it as being like one of those montages where someone's walking through the desert <laughs> <laughs> with just vast dunes of sand left, right, and center. When you eventually made it to the oasis that was your local cinema, Garrett, um, what did you go see? Yeah, today I saw Nope, which is the, the new, hotly anticipated, for some reason, released like two or three weeks after America Jordan Peele movie. I was like full on. I was like, oh, it's not in the Odeon. I'm going to have to take a trip up to Dublin to see it. And only then did the penny drop. I was like, no, it's actually just not fucking out here for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why it's it's three weeks later, but it is. And yeah. we've... I, I thought that kind of thing was gone? like a thing <laughs> yes. of the past 2022, now. 2022, yeah. come on. Yeah. Making us... Because the wildest thing was when it was like Pixar movies. And I was like, how is Disney still not doing global releases? Yeah. It used to be goddamn months. Like, it was it was horrible. But, um, yeah, you saw Nope. Yeah, it's really good. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so excited. It's really good. I, really... I somehow still haven't seen uh, Get Out. Because like, I saw uh, Us, and I was like, oh, jeez, I've, I've got to watch Get Out. And now I've watched Nope, and I'm like, oh, jeez, I've got to watch Get Out. <laughs> yeah, Get Out is way better than Us. This is, like, way, way better. Yeah, because I like um, us a lot. I like this a lot. It's one of those films where all you want to do is talk about the things in the movie, and it, which doesn't make it particularly interesting to review, other to say it's really good and cool with great performances, and it's a good movie, and you should go see it. Surprisingly, not very scary at all, and doesn't try to be, but I think that's Jordan Peele's kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. I think, I, I think Us is probably the creepiest mm. one. Like, I didn't find myself, like, now I'm very, like, it's very hard to proper chill me with a horror movie. Like, I watch so fucking many of them. Um, usually I get terrified of just, like, them being really, really bad and me having to watch them sometimes. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't call Get Out as scary because it's more like you're kind of wrapped up in, you know, the commentary and just how well made and how well performed it is that I didn't find myself being like, oh, Jesus, there's a couple of jump scares in it. But is there like, more like a, an intensity uh, to them? There's there's an oppressiveness to mm, okay. get out. There's a feeling of like, you know, like, like again, it's called get out and it's like, sure. this fucker needs to get out of here. Because it's like, you can see it coming before he does and you're just like oh fuck like and you don't see exactly what's coming necessarily because do you like Garrett have you had what Get Out is about spoiled yes. on you okay, it's one of those that's right. impossible not to spoil on you yeah. at this stage yeah, 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 yeah. again yeah. the, po- the yeah. point you just want to talk about the things in his movies it's just the way his yeah. movies are yeah um, but yeah watch yourself Get Out treat yourself it's a, a, a incredibly well made film and the source of the very entertaining Bradley Whitford meme. It's like I would have voted Obama for the third time. <laughs> Fucking hell. Just absolutely like is the most pinpoint skewering of that type of guy uh you'll ever see. Perfectly like um, that it's Bradley Whitford as well. It's like, ooh, yeah, yeah. ooh couldn't yeah. be more perfect. Incredible. Incredible. Uh but so Nope gets a big yep from yeah, you. Yeah, big thumbs up, great movie, go see it. And then we can all talk about it after we've all seen it. But like there is I will yeah. say like there's a scene in this movie where a house is in a like a rainstorm. It's, it's so good looking. Oh, it's like amazing. Oh, I I really like this film. This film's great. Mm. 
I guess that must be refreshing um, in terms of like visual effects then because we've we've had I mean there's the whole thing going on with uh, like Marvel at the moment and VFX studios and uh, attempts to unionize and whatnot and just the harassment they seem to be having so like the the visual effects of this one is it kind of a a step up or is it just it's just refreshing to see uh, a good looking film of this nature again yes there is nothing that looks out of place in this movie unlike Thank you for the pivot, Mark. The other film I saw this week, Bullet Train. <laughs> yeah. Which, third act of it is just full of dodgy CGI. It's just dodgy CGI mm. the movie. Oh. That's a shame. Like, it definitely very much... Um, it felt like it was going to slot into those gentlemen's three-star comfy movies that, like, I'll probably never watch it again, but I didn't have a bad time while I was watching it, is... What was your experience with Bullet Train? I don't think it's actively unpleasant. But as you watch it, you will see the better film that's in here, and then it will frustrate you at every turn. You'll be like, in the hands of a better director, because this is directed by David Leitch, who did the second Deadpool movie, and Hobbs and Shaw, which is a movie I detest. (laughs) And I like the Fast movies. I fucking hate Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, I hate it. But... Uh, I see. I kind of like Hobbs and Shaw, but purely because it went sick, man. Well, there's that, but also that it again, much like my taste in wrestling, when something goes so far into bad (laughs) that I find it very, very funny, uh, I can get on board with it, and it definitely did that. Uh, uh, The banter in that movie, I just want to throw myself off a bridge. What about what about mute Roman Reigns? (laughs) But Bullet Train is like it's. It's so weird to watch somebody who very clearly doesn't have a sense of style try to emulate or create a sense of style. Like, it's very... I think Guy Ritchie is probably the closest point of comparison that it's trying to ape. And it just feels like such a bad parody. And the weirdest thing about this movie is it stars Brad Pitt and the script feels like it's written for Ryan Reynolds. So it's full of, like, Ryan Reynolds-esque quips that Brad Pitt is delivering, and delivering pretty well, but it's weird to see him just doing a Ryan Reynolds performance. Yeah, because that was, did you mention that, yeah, that he he directed Deadpool 2? And uh, the, the thing I wanted to ask is, because, like, I was actually watching, it came up in my recommended videos. Uh, have you ever seen the, the channel? It's called, like, The Video Club. It's a French YouTube channel. And it's like whoever's on a publicity tour for the film, they basically bring him into a like a, one of the last video stores in Paris and interview them about their career. And they had Brad Pitt and David Leitch in there. Um, and it was an interesting chat because like I think Brad Pitt is a guy who has like been consistently entertaining for so long that I think he kind of it's weird to say somebody as famous as him flies under the radar as an actor. I think, like, people but, see him more as a celebrity than an actor and he doesn't yeah. get the credit as an actor. Yeah, because he, like he's like the more I think it's like there's actually an awful lot of movies he's in that I really really like and I really like his performance in them. Like he is like one of my least favorite Coen Brothers movies is Burn After Reading and I think he's great in it. You know, um, but yeah, him and David Leitch were, were being interviewed about it, and it was that was where I found out that um, Leitch was he got into the business as uh, Brad Pitt's stuntman. Really. Um, the the yeah. path you go from that to like directing major Marvel movies and yeah. stuff like this is wild, isn't it? Because they they talk about um, they talk about uh, being on the set of Fight Club 
um, and like doing like Texas switches where it's basically Brad Pitt runs camera switches and David Leach is taking the bump um, and stuff like that. And the two of them having an obsession with Bruce Lee and, uh, and shit like that is a really interesting chat. So like what I'm always interested to see is like when a stuntman kind of like gets elevated to being a director, like what, like, cause the, the trailer is cut with a lot of like, there's a lot of combat happening. Mm. Do, does the combat look good? No, it, Do the stunts far, look good? Far, far too quick cutty to be good. Oh, it's Kevin Duncan. Yeah, there, there's some stuff in there that's like, uh, there's a novel action sequence in like the concession section of a, a train that I think is pretty neat in, in terms of like the idea of it. But the, there's just way too many quick cuts for it to actually be like, you know, for you to be able to take in the action. It's quite disappointing in that regard. I mean, what actually is this? Is it just like a dopey action film? So is this, is the, the premise is that Brad Pitt is sent on this bullet train to pick up a, a briefcase. That's just his entire mission. He has to take a briefcase, walk off. And then there's a bunch of other people on the train with different missions that intersect and the crossover. And then, you know, chaos ensues. And, like, the whole idea of the movie is that it builds to the, this idea, you know, why are all of these people on this train? And the, the idea that all those stories then intersect in, like, the final act of the movie. And I think the movie does hinge on whether or not the reason all those people are there is interesting, and it's really not. Like, there's just a three-minute, like, expository dialogue or, or monologue about, like, they're all here for this reason, and, you, like, the pieces don't come together. You're just told how they were meant to, and you're like, oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> they were just all here. It's, it's trying to do, like, a flashy murder on the Orient Express kind of job. A little bit, yeah, because, like, the, there's a, another two guys who are, are trying to to bring the son of a like a mob boss who got kidnapped they're rescuing him and bringing him back to the mob boss and then like he dies and then you know all that stuff happened and shit goes down and then, like it's supposed to be like a drama and a mystery a little bit well not more there's a little bit of drama there and like there's a story at the very side with a father whose son was pushed off a building and that's another character in the movie pushed them off the building and then there's the 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 grandfather of the kid who was pushed off the building has like history it's there's like parts there that i thought were pretty interesting if they were like the movie but they exist at the periphery of the movie and as a result i i don't like this movie really at all it, I, like as i said it, when you sit and watch this movie you'll see the pieces of a good movie in here in better hands and that is what does make it like so frustrating like bad bunnies in it i don't know why but yeah that's gonna say how is wrestlemania star the bad bunny he, i think speaks like three words so i think they're quite smart yeah. in that regard he just stands well there. i think that's because the most english he probably knows as far as i'm aware he's he's not not one for the english as far as i know is he not no 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 i don't think so oh, i didn't know that um but because I know he is helming a Spider-Man spin-off for Sony, um, soon-ish, or did I hit my head and that's a fever dream? It's like I some random that. pro wrestler character deep in the Marvel. Canon, yeah, isn't yeah, it? L L something. Um, I'm trying to remember. It's one of those like even comic book nerds haven't heard of this character that they're digging up for some movie just to have Bad Bunny in it. El El Muerto. Yeah. Um, so that is going to be, if, if they wouldn't trust him to say more than about three words in this film, I, I shudder to think, but hey, it's Sony. This is kind of what they do. Um, yeah. Um, Mark. Hello. Interesting one. Uh, well, first of all, I just want to give a quick shout out to, um, I got, 
I, I w- jumped down the YouTube hole of uh, some more news, which sometimes would pop ah, up. Ah, Cody, Cody Shody. Yeah, which would sometimes pop up on my YouTube feed because uh, mm. I've, I've watched similar videos, um, like stuff like Munecat, um, who's excellent as well. And mm-hmm. so my algorithms had kind of crossed paths with him, but I'd never actually sat down to watch anything. But you actually, you posted that he had a... A three-hour epic about yeah. Jordan Peterson called called a short video about Jordan Peterson. So I was like, "Well, I think I've got three hours spare to watch that." And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's exceptional work. In some ways, it's almost too easy to dunk on that clown, but it's it's one of the. I still think like my favorite video about Peterson is the f- couple of ones the Philosophy Tube did. Because what Abigail tries to do a lot is try to, it's trying to appeal to not the people that already think he's clown shoes, but to the people that find a grain of something they relate to in what he says and then go, it's understandable that you feel that way, but hey, he's also full of shit. Yeah, I I, (laughs) I, I think Cody like dabbles with that as well to some degree Mm. as well. Um, I mean, yeah, yeah, I do tend to think that... um, and it's why I like knowledge fights so much in terms of Alex Jones, because like Dan, that's the, the angle he always tries to come from is like, it's not about just dunking on Alex Jones. It's about like, hey, let's think about this from the the people that are actually indoctrinated and, and are in that world and yeah. how they might see this or why they can't, why the blip, the blinders are on and they can't understand, you know, what we see or perceive or whatever. And when you like, mm-hmm. um, I've had a, a fierce problem with TikTok recommending me right wing influencers recently. Jesus, <laughs> and I'm like, why? Like, I I did oh. not know who Andrew Tate was like before I logged on to TikTok, oh, yeah. and oh, it will not stop. Yeah. And I made the mistake of like uh, watching one of them out of like aghast wonder. And it's like, how are you like this? Go. How does? And it, it's just like, this is what all we're going to recommend you. And now here's some Jordan Peterson. Here's a little Ben Shapiro. And I'm like, fuck off. Why is it so mm-hmm. easy? easy to rabbit hole me into right-wing content and like you understand yeah. how people get sucked in because it's like women ruin your lives right and it's like well fuck off but there's some guys who are like women do ruin my life and that's how that's how easy mm-hmm. this is and it's super annoying uh i will i've already recommended to you you guys both before but the q anonymous podcast recently i literally did. caught up on it but when you recommended yeah, so, I'm, 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 I'm nearly caught up on every episode i think i've one left listen so they did uh, on one of the on the free feed. They did one two weeks ago about uh, TikTok, uh, the TikTok to fascist pipeline, mm. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, so that yeah, just sprung up my head. I was like, I definitely listened to a podcast about that phenomenon on TikTok recently, and it's something that I've literally had to bring into uh, like talks on cyberbullying and stuff in my. Uh, in my work yeah i'd imagine just like, like hey you. guys you guys getting radicalized is a real thing that happens yeah so. i remember when i was teaching one of the kids randomly just blurted out the sentence feminism is cancer oh god and i'm like yeah. fucking what dumbass don't idiot youtube influencer has dragged you down yeah. into their rabbit hole that you say mm. things like this oh. i i think i told you guys uh off air before that i was at a like a a kind of one of these uh, people in my field networking kind of things where I was meeting people from different organizations. And one of them was getting chatting to me and kind of like, I think I had some sort of like kind of vaguely lefty either pin or T-shirt on me that he was like, oh, you're into politics. Um, I was chatting away to him and he goes, do you know, there's this guy 
uh, I've gotten like really into it. And I was like, oh yeah, who is he? And he goes, uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. I think his name is Ben Shapiro. <laughs> and I was just like, because <laughs> hmm. uh, like all of these people, all of them have like relatively tame, normal things to suck people in, you know, like, like yeah. normal political stances that people are like, you know, that intrigues me. And then like two minutes later, it's anti-Semitism. <laughs> That's always the way yeah. it works. Yeah. But they always have the like yeah. the base level stuff that will make people go. It's like, oh, you know, they speak the truth. And then anti-Semitism. The thing that always fascinates me with those people is that from the first time I see them, the grift is so mm. clear. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, I see, and then maybe that's just because of like my background and the things I've read and like doing history in college and, and things like that has, has like has wired my brain a certain way that it seems like tissue paper thin what's a, what a lot of these people are doing. Like I I just, especially some of like I can't imagine being like won over by the Dave Rubens of the world. <laughs> You know, well, I mean, uh, I but think... that's particular. That's particularly low-hanging fruit, even within that sphere. Yeah, but I think also as well, um, what helps with things of this nature for for you and for I or whatever is like a just having a little bit of self-awareness. That like, mm-hmm. okay, well, maybe if I am you know single or not had much luck with girls or whatever the case may be, probably could be something to do with what I've done and saying I should improve and work on. Um, but also just being on the right side of Gamergate, I think, just comes down to a lot of it as well. And just being like, yeah, there yeah, is like, I, yeah, like when the, do you know, it's something I think I've talked about on the show before when I was reading that book about QAnon, where it's just like, when all that shit started, I was just like, yeah, I've seen this before. <laughs> you know, like, this is like, this is exactly, I could trace this back to Gamergate. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. So much of it comes um, back to that. It's... But, but hey, Mark, in, hey, yeah, a anyway. very, in a very natural segue, <laughs> you've been watching Animaniacs. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so speak. Wait, wait. Speaking of wackos. There we go. Hey. There we are. There we are. Hey. Yeah. Um, so we were, we were just, you know, watching TV the other night and um, we did this thing a while ago where we were like, hey, let's just kind of pick a cartoon at random from our childhood and we'll watch an episode if the other half hadn't seen it before, just, you know, just for, for the bands. And uh, she put on Ed, Ed, and Eddie, which I hadn't seen in ages, and still an enjoyable show. But I was like, Animaniacs. I've I've generally not watched that since I was, you know, like 95, 96, when I was about six or seven years old. And I always remember that I enjoyed Animani- Animaniacs as a, as a child. But most of my um, knowledge or what I remember about that show basically is distilled down to uh, stuff like, you know, Wacko's World or um, just kind of bits and pieces of skits, or just a Pinky and Brain song, basically. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just put on an episode at random, and uh, I can't remember the exact, exactly what episode, but at the end of it, uh, I was chuckling away, Maria was chuckling away, I was like, well, fuck it, let's just go from the start again if you want. And so we watched, uh, I think we're about six or seven episodes in, and it's it's kind of like cliche to say in some ways for certain cartoons, there's that whole sort of like, it works on a, a level for um, children, and it also works on a level for adults as well. But it's so fucking true for this show, more than possibly most cartoons that I've seen. Um, and certainly coming into it so fresh that I don't really remember so much from when I was a child, that I am really kind of seeing it for the first time through the eyes of an adult. And there is so much in there, in in the humour, and so much in the, the way, like... I never realized before, for a start, that when Wacko is saying goodnight, everybody, that he's saying it in response to, like, an innuendo or something to that nature. I never realized that, but as soon as he did it after about two or three times, I was like, 
Oh, right. I, I see what we're doing here now. Um, one of the key things that I've realized watching this, and I think what makes the show successful, is that in the hands of someone else, or certainly I think if that show, this show was done today, and obviously I know that they brought it back, but... Um, Have you watched any of the revival? Was, no, I mean, I'm going to get to that point. I, I feel like I... I I, I want to watch the whole thing, but we've just been slow because um, we've been out most of this week. But I do want to go through the whole show. But in the hands of someone else, the Animaniacs, like the three of them, could have ended up being incredibly annoying characters and incredibly irritable. But what kind of... There's like a fine line that they never straddle over towards. Because a lot of the skits involving those three just evolve revolve around the three of them annoying someone else and just not leaving them the fuck alone. Um, but they get around it because the show is just packed with, with one liners and puns and generally funny writing that no matter how kind of annoying that the three of them can sometimes end up being the, 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 the one liners and the visual humor is so kind of, there's a barrage of it per episode um, that you, you never, you never get to the point that you can well get to that point. And also because the show is split into those different skits where it's like, okay, here's one short segment that's based on the Animaniacs. Here's a short segment based on, um, you know, Skippy Squirrel, who, by the way, is actually the best thing about the show so far. But I haven't got to any of the Good Feathers skits bit because I, I, I remember Good Feathers and I remember enjoying, like, the one guy always complimenting the other guy, the other pigeon and then him screaming and blah, blah, blah. And I hadn't watched Good Feathers as a child, so I feel like going back, there'll be kind of certain references that I will now know that I didn't back then. That's my favorite part I... of the show, is seeing what references you do get. Because, like, this is 90s US, mostly political satire. So there's, like, Bill Clinton references that you get. But, like, there's deep-cut 90s US political satire. It's like, no idea who they're even talking about here. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, yeah, because there's so many, like, um, caricatures or, or, you know, well, they're not parodies. They are, like, you know, riffs on... You just yeah so many kind of people from that like the, the late 80s and early 90s um but then there's also like all of the classical uh people or, or historical uh kind of people they use like albert einstein is in the second episode and there's an incredible gag where he's like right now to measure the unit of time and he just turns a light bulb on and turns it off again it's like oh that was really quick and that just floored me and uh <laughs> yeah it's just it's a fucking it's a great show like the the classic one about the levels that show works on is the fingerprints joke. That became. Did you ever see that? I don't know if I've seen that one. I remember that one. Where it's like, oh, there's some there's some gag about um how are we gonna, uh like figure out who this was and it's like fingerprints and then it cuts to dot and she's got like the singer prince in her arms. And oh yes. And she yeah. kind of looks at him like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> disgusted at the idea. I was like, that's one that like I absolutely would have seen at the time and absolutely didn't register with me on what they were doing. Um, when you're finished that, I don't know if you watched it originally. I don't know um, when you last watched it, if you did watch it originally. Freakazoid. I knew you were going to say Freakazoid. I have seen it Mate. originally, and I'll probably do a rewatch of that yeah. um, once we're done with Animaniacs. Fre Freakazoid is genuinely, and like it would have been out when I was five years old, is probably still in my top ten of all time. Yeah. Just shows in general, in terms of like, if I needed to put a list of ten shows together to explain to a stranger why I am the way I am, yeah. um, it would be probably Freakazoid uh, uh, would be on that list for sure. Um, 
It's funny, Garrett, like as the, uh, I suppose as the unofficial animation correspondent of the podcast, um, like Steven Spielberg waded into like executive producing animation for a very concentrated period of time on TV in the 90s, but had like a substantial uh, footprint in our generation's lives. Yeah, because I was always more of a Pinky and the Brain guy. I love Pinky and the Brain. Oh, Pinky and the Brain are great. And you know, I, I was a little disappointed, you know, with the revival of Animaniacs, where it's like, it's just fine. You know, it, it's it's pretty... I, I haven't even finished. I'm like half, three quarters of the way through season one, and I know season two is out now too. So it's like, I, I wasn't even like compelled to finish watching it, despite like loving Pinky and the Brain in particular and enjoying Animaniacs. Mm. So, yeah, like... I wonder is, is I I think political satire is dead. Like you just can't do it yeah. anymore. I just I just don't yeah. think you like politics is so far beyond satire now that you just can't do it. So when you bring back something like Animaniacs, where its entire thing is political satire, it's like what can you say about Trump? Nothing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, the, it's... like the I, I suppose the only the only like really biting satire I can think of in years and years is not an animated show, is The Boys. But that's like a real different and extremely maximalist approach to satire. Yeah, I don't think anim- Animaniacs um, would work for that. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely <laughs> not. They are different shows, yeah. my friends. Different. Well, shows. Well, you say like political satire is what Anima- Animaniacs is built on, but the other side of it as well is Wacko and Yakko being the horniest fuckers you've ever <laughs> seen in your life. Yeah. Which I think they still it's, are, to be fair. That reminds me of something <laughs> else I've seen that I need to put on the list. Um, but again, it's interesting because like. That sort of thing, you could certainly, like, in today's day and age, you could think that that hasn't aged particularly well, but... And I can't put my finger on why it isn't exactly... I th- I don't know whether it's because, like, the nurse herself is actually quite... Um, she's not just purely there as, like, objectification. Like, she's, you know, chasing after them to throw them back in the in the tower. Um, or the fact that, like, Minerva Minx, when she, you know, gets involved, um, she's also just as horny for, like, super attractive buff foxes or whatever she is as well mm. so we i don't know all... i don't know what it is it's like, um, of course um but you know that was the one thing i noticed quickly early on as well it's like wow these these like dog cat monkey creatures are super horny for everything but yeah it doesn't ever feel like uncomfortable or feel like it's aged poorly and mm. uh yeah just a tremendous show and i'm looking forward to watching more of it steven yeah. spielberg no kind of taste i kind of now really want to rewatch freakazoid because that was one that like went you got that on blu-ray didn't you uh i have it on dvd it was never it never got a proper blu-ray release um but i have it on like region free dvd over my shoulder here and i obviously have it uh purchased on a hard drive just in case um but yeah that like freakazoid was such a special show because it took like that kind of wacky absurdist referential humor and like for me, like, went one step, like, where it was, I think it was the first thing I ever, ever, first type of media I ever consumed that was, like, before I understood what the concept was, truly fourth wall breaking, in, like, how much it was, like, how much they talk about the, like, people who were animating the show, and Steven Spielberg was a character in the show a couple yeah. of times, and, and like, in fairness, like, basically act- does that as well, where he does the fourth wall yeah. breaking. Um, yeah. yeah, actively commenting on their own ratings and almost actively trying to get cancelled. Uh, my favourite instance of that, um, I, I name-dropped Pinky Elmira and the Brain a couple of weeks ago on the show. Yeah. My favourite thing about Pinky and the Brain 
is the if you listen to the theme song of Pinky Elmire and the Brain, it ends with the brain line, I deeply resent this, which was just the animators <laughs> being like, we fucking hate having to put this dumbass character into our show because the network told us to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a that was such a poochy situation. <laughs> fucking hell. Oh, um, and, and just the last thing, um, the songs, the soundtrack, the score, yeah. the way that like just, you know, it, it, it kind of really for me harkens back to when i would watch tom and jerry and how mm. you know like the score narrates what is happening and yeah. you know and maniacs Anima- does that but with the script as well and just yeah there are it. there are young people <clears throat> i've encountered in work who know all the words to the countries of the world song uh never one time in their lives watched an episode of animaniacs that they just know it from the video incredible they just have watched like the single video of the song on YouTube and they love it. Uh, but like, I'm, I'm just like, you know, there was like a whole show that was this, <laughs> you know? And then I tell them like, I, and then I, I'll usually do my thing. Like I just did where I start talking about Freakazoid and they're like, oh, are there like weirdly educational segments in Freakazoid? And I was like, no, um, there was one called Frenching with Freakazoid where he, he teaches you the line who cut the cheese in French. <laughs> <laughs> or there was one that was like speaking Norwegian with Freakazoid where he talks about narwhals for a couple of minutes um, anyway um, what I've been watching you reminded me when you were talking there about like uh, unreasonably horny characters from things in our childhood that kind of sailed over us at the time I watched for the first time since I was about six or seven years old Greece oh, well, uh, I mean, this past all, week yeah I should we should probably say rest in peace uh, yes Olivia Newton-John John. and that is why like uh, I know uh, me and Garrett <laughs> as the people on the take from Paramount Plus on this <laughs> podcast um, we you've probably seen Garrett over like since Olivia Newton-John died every time you log on to Paramount Plus literally the first thing you see is hey do you want to watch Greece yeah. it's like no I want to watch um, Greece leave me alone <laughs> yeah, so so I I decided I was gonna watch. Oh, by the way, how far are you in Frasier? Uh I think midway through season. No, I finished season two and started season three. Okay, so you've nearly caught up with me now. I'm nearly at the end of season three. Um, but uh, yeah, so I decided to watch Greece, and I was like, hey. This is one of those, like, you know, there was all those musicals that, like, you know, Oliver and stuff like that, that they were always on TV at the weekends when you were growing up, or someone always had a VHS copy of them, and it was something, because there was songs in it, because people were dancing, like, when the kids were around, let's stick that on, it's bright colours, everybody watched it, everybody knows a lot of the songs. Gentlemen, having watched it for the first time in 25 years, I am here to report to you what an unspeakably horny movie this is. When was the last time either of you watched uh, this film? I've watched bits and because, like as you mentioned, it would usually pop up on ITV or ITV Two at random points over the last twenty odd years. Like I feel like there's a part of my childhood that's just made up of clips of like fucking um, the man with the golden gun and Greece because of like the constant uh, Bond reruns they do. I haven't watched the film in its entirety probably since I was a teenager, but I've certainly seen you know just clips of it over the years. Garrett, what Never seen Grease. Okay. So we all know the song Greased Lightning. A very famous yeah, song. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm, I'm aware of the songs and I already know what you're going to talk about, but please continue. Yeah. Gar- Garrett, uh, have you ever mulled over the lyrical content of this song? No. Um, okay, so like I went, it's really weird because like I went from just average 
33 year old man just watching a film of a weekday night into pearl clutching grandpa within seconds <laughs> where I was like retroactively appalled that I had been put in front of this as a small child uh, because in the again I could swear up and down if you showed me these lyrics on a sheet of paper mark I would say you made them up as like because no I've seen Grease there's no way is this the lyric right or are any of these the lyrics so um in the first uh in the first chorus, there's a line that says, you know that it ain't shit, we'll be getting lots of tit. Right? <laughs> there's also a line, literally a couple of seconds later, it, in the chorus to the song, you are supreme, the chicks will cream for grease light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. when you're a T-bird, all right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're getting all D-birds Yeah. you're a T-bird. <laughs> um, there's a line about it being a real pussy wagon uh-huh, in here. Uh-huh. And this, that's just I mean, in Venice, those cars, go they, they certainly were yeah. pussy wagons. Look, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all of them, but it's just like, holy shit. Yeah. I don't know why, like, the scales just fell from my eyes. There's probably people who are, like, big fans of Greece who are like, yeah, you fucking idiot. But it was like it had been so long, and it was so in the back of my mind. And then, like, I started getting incredibly triggered as well because i remember i don't know if yours was the same garrett but like in when i was in secondary school every year the secondary schools do a musical in our town it's kind of like a co-production of the boys secondary school and the girls secondary school and usually every few years they do greece i don't think we ever That's did greece ones... but we, we did do the play every okay. year we did we did joseph no uh, uh... We did HMS Pinafore one year, very highbrow. <laughs> we, did, we did we Snow did White. Like we usually did panto stuff rather than musical stuff because we did Snow White. I think they do uh, Willy Wonka one year. Uh, so they, they generally yeah. keep it on the more wholesome um, side. We... Yeah, we definitely did Grease. And I'm like, no. Like, they, no. They ha- how? <laughs> I, like, I don't. And I was, I went to see it. When we were in the school, I was like, they mu- there must be, like, a, you know, an airplane-friendly version of all these songs that they reason because nope. I'll tell you the one thing, the people running the musicals in my school were not creative enough to change the lyrics <laughs> on the fucking fly. Um, I, I, so will, I, I will like, say this, though, about Grease. Like, I don't think it's a very good film. Like, It's not a very good film, but I think it's a very entertaining musical. It's one of those yeah, where... Yeah, it's, it's the, the spectacle is there, and yeah. obviously the songs are... I think it would be fair to, to qualify them as timeless. You know, I, yeah. I do think they have stood do, the test of time. Do you know what it is, Mark? It's the classic because it was a pre-existing musical before the film. It's it's exactly what you get a lot of the time when you try to put Broadway on film. <sighs> a very like a very serviceable attempt at something everyone says is fantastic on stage live. Yeah, and that is. You know, with a lot of musicals, that is the case. Like, I would never in my life ever want to see Russell Crowe bellowing again in Les Mis. But I would absolutely go to see a proper production of Les Mis any day of the week. I I think for me, because, like, when I think of that sort of thing, I immediately go to the likes of um, Rocky Horror Picture Show or Little Little Shop of Horrors, which I think the film adaptations of those are tremendous. Um, I tend to go to those more than like Cats. the likes of Les Mis, which I think is the better way to approach that kind of thing. I never yeah. saw Chicago. I have no idea if Richard Gere is, uh, if, if he's got the pipes for I, that sort of thing. I, I remember Chicago being all right, but like that movie is what, like 20 years old at this stage, I think. Uh, it was like 2000. But Richard Gere was still a thing, yeah. so. Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones was still a thing. I'm a yeah. Russell Crowe Les Mis um, defender. Are you? Like, there's a scene in that movie where Hugh Jackman bursts. He's just shouting, Garrett. He's not singing. <laughs> Hugh Jackman's Jean Valjean like bursts out of a sewer, and it's framed so that Russell Crowe is just standing at the top of the steps waiting for him. 
And it's like, yeah. no. <laughs> you know, I'm so on board for it. Look, I, I think I'd rather I, hear I think, him... I think that, like... I think I'd rather hear him shout than do a Greek accent. All right, just, just. I, I think, I, I think he, um, I think it makes him look especially bad that he's against like fucking Captain Theater for the whole movie. <laughs> you know, like huge jacked man is uh, absolutely a theater guy through and through, and you put him next to fucking shouty Joe. That's what, if you've ever uh, seen an interview with Hugh, he's like, I did, I thought I was an imposter. I had panic attacks. I didn't think I was yeah. up to doing Jean Valjean on screen, and then Hugh Jackman's just like. No. <laughs> or Russell Crowe. <laughs> uh, yeah, you go yeah. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is probably thinking, he'd walked off set every day like fucking nailed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, David or Russell's probably like, uh, Russell, can we do another take? And he goes, no, you got it. Yeah, one, I'm one take Russ, all right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I watched this week um, was a, a show I'd been... I don't know if I want to say looking forward to. I was very tentative about this show because I think it was an inherently unfilmable property, but something I hold very near and dear to my heart. I was always going to watch the adaptation of it when it came out. Uh, And that is uh, season one of The Sandman on Netflix, adopted from the the Neil Gaiman books um, that ran from like 1988 to 1995, I think. Um... The first series is 10 episodes long. They all dropped together on Netflix uh, Friday last week. Um, by Sunday morning, I had watched all 10. I've only watched two, so you're way ahead of me. Yeah. Yes. Um, it adopts... Were you, did, had you ever read the Sandman? No, I'm not a comic nerd. nerd. Okay. I'm, I'm a cool okay. guy nerd well, who you should be. read. Yeah. This was <laughs> the, the two runs. comics that got me... <laughs> I don't read. <laughs> Um, the two comics that got me into comics were Watchmen and The Sandman. Um, so I was really, really nervous about this because I've been bitten before uh, many times. And this, the 10 episodes uh, adapt roughly the first two volumes of Sandman. It leans more heavily on volume two than volume one. They kind of speed run a good bit of volume one over the first two or three episodes. Um, but... I am pleased to report, and it's one of those things where, like, I was watching it, and I'm like, I'm waiting for this to get bad, because I'm so trained to think all these live-action adaptations are going to be bad. And it didn't get bad. And by the end, I was like, I kind of kicked ass like it's an entirely different thing to the comics i don't think anything will ever i think the comics are unimpeachable for me and um but i'm somebody that like you can adapt something and you know both things can be good in different ways and i kind of made my peace with like this so the sandman got adapted into an audiobook during the pandemic that is actually fucking excellent with james mcavoy playing dream um and like a real one of those because everyone was locked down they got an unbelievably star-studded cast and they got like a bunch of people who had been fan casted on internet forums for years to play the roles people wanted them to so i remember one of my like very early forays into the internet um reading like you know oh there it was one of the times a sandman film was supposed to be in the works and the the people the person the internet always wanted to play death was cat dennings and then when the audiobook came around, lo and behold, Kat Dennings is playing Death in it. So people finally got what they wanted. I really like that. But 
Yeah, I thought this show was really fucking good. Um, it's really different from, much like Sandman is different from other comics, this is really a, like a lot different from other comic adaptations in as much as I think in the entire 10 hour long episodes there is, I don't even know if there's one fight. Um, There is like, a couple of confrontations that don't play out as fights. I don't want to spoil things on Garrett, seeing as he's not read the comic books. Um, but there's no actual, you know, terrible CGI figures shooting beams at each other. There's no, like, sky laser or anything like that happening. Um, it's a fairly faithful adaptation of the comics. Um, I really like that they had a mix of actors I haven't really seen in stuff before. And they, the people I do recognize from other things are picked really well. I think Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer is fucking great. David Thewlis as uh, Dr. D, John D, uh, unbelievable as well. Um, and I, I think... Someone you've definitely met two episodes in, Gar, before I, I turn over to you and see what you think of it. Um, someone I really, really was impressed by is Boyd Holbrook as the Corinthian, uh, who's like the antagonist of the first series, uh, an escaped nightmare in the uh, in the human world. Uh, and Boyd Holbrook, for a lot of people, would probably be best known as that kind of like blondie-haired dude from Logan, who's like after Charles Xavier. Oh, that's where I know him um, from. Yeah. Um so he he plays the Corinthian. Uh, and I just thought his turn as a Corinthian who is like a real creepy fuck in the comics uh, was really really good. What have you been thinking about it so far? Yeah, Garrett? I think his performance like walks that line of charming and sinister really really well. Where like yeah. he, he has both sides but ultimately lands on sinister. Like I said I've no familiarity with the source material. I think I've only even read one Neil Gaiman book in general, so like I don't even have much familiarity with Neil Gaiman. You, you fucking hurt my heart on a weekly basis. Again, Dave, why would I read words? Was it put them on the screen for me to it, look at? Was it Coraline you read, or American Gods, or I don't what was remember it? what I read. It wasn't like his famous <sighs> stuff. It was just a random thing. It's just a random. Fuck's sake, man! Let me look at the the books. Of... <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, I I'm really enjoying it. Like, I, I it might be blasphemy to, to to say it it gives me vibes of The Witcher, in terms of adaptations from Netflix, especially given it has mm. like a, 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 he's not quite wise wisecracking, but like a surly central protagonist who's like kind of angry at the world. Yeah. It kind of has similar yeah. vibes, especially again he spends the entire first episode shirtless as well, <laughs> which yeah. <laughs> Well, not just shirtless, but you, you don't see anything else that's going on. He is he is fully bollock out. You just don't see any he bollock. He could get his dick out. Come on. <laughs> I love that there yeah. is certain shots where like his, his dick should be out. It's like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. strategically placed hands, huh? Yeah. Huh? Uh, look, you got to say excellently blocked director of photography there that like they managed to never get full <laughs> yeah. on. <laughs> but I, I, as I said, I'm two episodes in. First of all, second episode is only 37 minutes long, and that means it's the best yeah. show of the year. I, I, yeah. I, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the tone. I'm enjoying the vibe. I'm, I'm, I'm in on the the character. Like last night, I was like, I don't really want to go to bed, even though I knew I had to have to get up relatively early to go see Nope in, in the morning. Yeah. It's like I don't want to go to bed without watching another episode. So that that that's where I'm at. If I'm at the, that with it, yeah. I think that's a pretty good place to be. 
It's really fucking good. It's been really, like, people are receiving it really well. I think it's, like, the number one streamed show in 83 countries or something like that. So I think my, like, I finished it and I went from being so worried that it existed to being so worried they wouldn't give it a second season. Because obviously they adapted two volumes uh, for one season. Then roughly there's at least four more seasons worth of materials if they go like two volumes per season. Um, you definitely could stretch it more if you wanted. But I was like, I want to see more of this. I think the guy they got, uh, Tom, I can't think of his surname, to play Dream, uh, I think is excellent. Because the these, these beings, the Endless, who are supposed to be, you know, they've been there since the universe started. And as Death says in one of the books, like as soon as, you know, when all life in the universe ends, I'll be the one to put the table, uh, to put the chairs on the tables, turn the light out and close the door on the universe. So they are, they've been there since the start. They'll be there at the end. And I think your man who plays Dream has this really good combination of like, he looks eternally youthful, but his, like he has the voice I have heard in my head since I was a teenager for Dream. This like weary, older than time itself timber to his voice that I, I really, really enjoy. Um, I think for the most part, you're going to get it with like TV shows sometimes where you'll see, oh, that's not the prettiest looking effects shot I've ever seen in the world. But I think for the standards of like streaming TV, it's pretty damn good. And there's only a couple of jarring ones. They've done a bunch of um, gender and, and race swaps on the casting that, of course, annoyed all the right people. I was very happy with the people that it annoyed. But I think... Um, every single one of them absolutely nailed it. Like I mentioned Gwendolyn Christie, but also uh, Jenna Coleman, latterly of um, Doctor Who fame. Of Xenoblade who, Chronicles uh, fame, frankly. Xenoblade Chronicles fame. Uh, she plays Constantine, uh, Joanna Constantine, uh, in the show, and she is excellent. Uh, I think you have ahead of you three... Home, at least three I love every episode of it but there are three episodes that are like all in the running for my favourite episode of TV I've seen this year Um, there's an episode with her there's an episode set in a diner and there's an episode set in one pub over a period of time all three of those episodes are fucking home runs for me Um, yeah but just a oh god what a show I really really enjoyed it and now I've started listening to the audiobook again and started reading the comic books again. Um, and it's just a world I, I want to get lost That'll in. That'll be known. That's I remember great. absolutely nothing about it, but The Ocean at the End of the Lane is the only Neil Gaiman book I've read. Ah, uh, yes, yes. That's, yeah, that's like late 2000s he wrote that book, yeah, did he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, right, uh, let's go to Video Garms. Uh Mark. Games. I like games. They're pretty good. Um, we we sometimes talk about them here. Sometimes. They're not so good when you spend eight hours setting up a console in order to play games on them, but I'll uh, I'll leave the Odin Pro till next week. Um, but the thing finally fucking arrived, so that in itself is good news. Um, but three hours spent trying to figure out why my, why my brand new micro SD I got for it was corrupted uh, was infuriating. But hey... I managed to get Metroid Prime running, and it seems to be running pretty well, so that's good news. I can run that uh, on my I... Wii U. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I eventually get my hands on a Wii U, I'll get it running on that as well. It's very like the Wii U is very like an emulation haven as well when you break it, but that's neither oh, yeah, here nor it there. Is. <laughs> Absolutely is, yep. 
so I'm going to just um, bring up a couple of things from what Jack was saying about Stray last week, because I'm about two hours in. I tell him about halfway through. Uh, first of all, that game is basically we don't go to Raven home several times over. Uh, that is kind of like the pacing of the game. It's like, hey, you probably don't want to go in there, but you're going to need to because you need to do like uh, objective A, B or C. Um, and but it, you know, has this kind of like uh, man-made environmental destruction story that's running through that, you know, the subtlety hammer is smashing you over the head the whole time. Um, the thing that Jack was talking about last week that uh, was kind of like my big talking point for this, he was talking about the cat and the fact that it's a cat and therefore in terms of like, you know, the personality and the character, it's a fucking cat. So it doesn't really have any. And I was thinking about that and um, just thinking about like the way that the story presents itself, the fact that you have characters that don't engage in like actual dialogue, you have the gibberish uh, voiceover that it does but it's more you know you actually have to read the the, the dialogue to uh, get a sense of the story and you know i'm sure that they didn't pick the cat purely in terms of hey it'll be easier to do a cat because uh you know we don't have to worry about like dialogue or this that or the other but i do think there is a little bit of um you have the cat there as like the mascot and i think that the actually the way that like the cat moves around and the way that they decide to implement um traversal in terms of you can't just kind of move around and jump on stuff um like you know a isn't so much a jump button as it is so much a context sensitive button that you come up to a railing and it says a and you can jump up to it instead of just you sort of like trying to like free shot it and you know going careening over the side of yeah, it platforming is um, more like a, a quick time event more than anything else yeah, yeah, it's but I think that's the right way to go because I think if they, they try to kind of freewheel it, you just be constantly falling off the side, and and the the pacing of that would just it would just kind of fall apart. So I think that like that sort of side of it kind of makes sense why they go with a cat, and maybe they weren't intending on this, and maybe I'm just you know like going overboard my thoughts about it, but I kind of look at it that like you know like. As I'm kind of going through the story, I don't have the distraction of like my character who's yapping away. And I, I think part of it is I've come to realize that I much prefer dialogue in games that is done through just the actual in-game text and not so much voiceover work because I think so much voiceover work tends to like not be great. That's the opposite of what tends... I've been saying for 15 minutes, Mark. <laughs> make me well, read, I... don't make me listen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I prefer I much prefer to read than uh to than than listen and um yeah I just think that having like all of that kind of those distractions taken away and just being able to kind of focus on like the text and these characters I think actually makes the uh like the robots that are the kind of NPCs of this world it does actually for me gives a little bit more humanity to them and you know they're the way that they kind of act and they care for like the other uh, NPCs in the world the other robots. I don't know, it, it felt like I, I got more attention focused on them, and it made them more, I don't say relatable, but it kind of made me more empathize with what was going on with their scenarios, than kind of worrying about who my character is and what I was doing, and, you know, the cat has a story, which is, it, you know, uh, fell off of a very high platform and is now trying to get back to its other feline friends. Who abandoned it. Um, who, well, I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Jump down there as well? It's That's basically certain death. No solidarity in the cat community. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't as like, 
uh, kind of strong or impassionate in the, some of the things Jack was saying last week about the fact that it is a cat and it has that lack of personality. I, I think that um, I think that the way that they approach the cat uh, kind of gives more kind of credence to what's going on with other aspects of the game, um, which I appreciate. Um, but I don't like things chasing me, and the kind of core principle uh, combat in that game involves you being chased a lot, and I fucking hate it. But I will stop being a bitch, and I will complete that game over the next week or so. But I do like Stray. I, I think it's it's a pleasant little game. Um, it's certainly like not uh, it's not doing anything you know particularly new or groundbreaking. But I think that it's just like hey, here's a really pleasant game um, that is a bit bit overbearing in terms of its message. But you know what? Sometimes certainly when like the fucking heat wave we're going through at the moment, I think we're at the point where you can as much as I full. Don't Look Up was a terrible film. You know what? Maybe sometimes you do need to start smashing these messages over the heads of certain people who are just not getting the hint. That We've we run are. out of time to be nuanced. Yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm finding it harder and harder to use that as a critique of these sorts of things. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I like Stray. I, I do. Yeah, I played like two hours of it. I think I left it off, you know, when you go into the hub world and you have to like collect the four clues from the different corners of the hub world that's where i've left it and i haven't had a strong inclination to go back to it but i uh, the game's what four or five hours yeah so I, I probably will by the end of the year but i i don't feel a strong inclination to do so yeah i i think like part of that is that again there isn't anything particularly like mechanically savvy about the game that gives that that would make you feel compelled and and the story is what it is so um it is one of those sort of like you play it for an hour and you absolutely kind of have a feel for what this game is and then it's based on like all right do i actually want to see this thing through but i think that because it's got such a, a short running time that um it it's not i don't think it would be that too much of a, a hassle to go back and like because again i think i'm only two hours through but i looked at the uh chapters and that's bang on like halfway so um and you know i, I like the way that you because of the way that mechanically it works to allow you to explore around um when you're in those kind of open hub areas like actually kind of jumping around rooftop to rooftop is is quite enjoyable um and there are certain like npcs you can interact with in certain ways and yeah again it's it's nothing um particularly complex but i, I it's a very like polished game you know um for what i, I think is a quite a small studio um and like environmentally in terms of like the environmental storytelling and, and aspects of that uh there's there's a lot going on there i think that's probably like the most like noteworthy thing about the game is how um how packed the the world is with just like little kind of bits and pieces that you can just easily miss um that just i don't know kind of bring the world a little bit more to life so it feels i think a lot like a, a real cool tech demo from a studio that in some ways from a studio that yeah. like can't turn this into a full triple a experience because they're they're a small studio so they don't have the resources to and maybe after the success of this they will yeah, it does kind of feel like maybe it'd be the sort of thing you would have seen uh, sort of like for the PS3 or something, mm. where it's like, hey, here's this kind of shiny new thing we have. Um, because it's not by any means like the most visually sumptuous game. Though I think that the cap animates well. But yeah, yeah, I, 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 I see that. I definitely see that. Uh, but also, I think the soundtrack's quite nice as well. I, I think it's well put together. Anyway, uh, the other thing I have sunk a couple of hours into is the new two-point game, Two Point Campus, which is a um, it's a sequel, I guess, to Two Point Hospital that came out a couple of years ago. 
Uh, for anyone unaware, Two Point Hospital basically is like a spiritual successor to uh, to, uh, to Theme Hospital, Theme Park, those type of management sim games from the the nineties. With a lot of the the but shared I, dev team as well. It's not it's, it's the same people. Yeah, 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 definitely, yeah. And um, it, you know, like I thought, Two Point Hospital was uh, was a really you know successful attempt to kind of revitalize that sort of uh, that sort of system that those sorts of systems that style of gameplay um i i really enjoyed like the kind of visual style of it i thought it had a lot of kind of co comedic whimsical charm to it the um, pa announcer is my favorite thing about any of these games <laughs> yeah yeah like yeah. the first i played uh, literally like half an hour of two-point campus so far i played like the first year of the first level and like the, the very first pa announcement was like stupid questions will make you look stupid <laughs> like yeah. yes perfect yeah, there's there's a little bit of a kind of like portal sort of vibe, I think, in some of the the lines. Um, and like that, that does go back be... to the original theme hospital as well. That was all the way back there. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so like two point campus, in terms of like the flow of this game, it is it is very very similar as you could probably imagine. But this time you are you know building out successful uh, university campuses instead. Um, one of the big changes is that instead of um, your customers or like patients with the the hospital uh, game, you know they come in, they have whatever sickness, they get treated for it, they leave. Now you have you know these students that are there for like over the course of three years. So I think one of the things and the, the developers spoke about this was this idea that you form a slightly kind of stronger uh, emotional bond with these um, students that enroll. So by the end of those three years, you're kind of like um you're kind of you know happy and celebrating to see them uh graduate and, and move on i don't think that for me at least at the moment like i've i've done three years on the first campus and i'm two years into the second campus at the moment and maybe it will get to a point later on where i'm not so focused on the sort of learning the different systems and unlocking because one of the things that i found frustrating with two-point hospital and the same thing is happening with campus is that you constantly get like these little mini objectives where a student's like hey it'd be really good if we had x like a, a, a arcade cabinet or a this table or whatever and you have to spend the kadosh coins but the like you get such a drip feed of those coins that after like the first year or so i simply didn't have any left and I was just cancelling these fucking requests every two minutes because I just didn't have any left. And the game's so kind of slow about giving you ways to uh, collect those coins. So I was just getting more frustrated with that than anything else. It's teaching how to be a strict college administrator. <laughs> yeah, learn, see, I you just got to learn how to say no to these entitled <laughs> students. I just want to splurge all my money and just build a big campus and be done with it. Um, as I would have done back in the day when I just basically went god mode on theme park. Or use the Sims but cheat. Yeah, basically. So I don't know if like later on when you get past that point and you can just focus on like, hey, I just kind of want to build the campus that I want to make that you do get to that bit where you have that connection. But it's not really there yet. Like I just I'm so kind of focused on like, all right, what's the you know, it's one of those like, hey, you have a checklist, tick them off. So it's like, all right, I need to build like a library. Now I need to build a uh, cafeteria. Now I need to build whatever uh, classroom that it wants me to do. And so you've got, you know, that system in place. You've got, uh, like, graduation coins that you have to use where... Or they're, they're, I think they're, like, course management coins. So you can't just, like, build whatever 
uh, in or enroll whatever class that you want. You have to like, all right, I'm going to invest these uh, course management coins into uh, like this VR course, and that's what I'm going to build, and I'm going to invest into that and and get higher teachers for that. Or it's a, a cooking course, and I'm only on, again I'm only on the second like world, if you will, or second campus which seems to be more focused like cooking and culinary courses. So obviously like if the third area is based on like acting or theater or whatever, I'm presuming it will do something like that as you kind of uh, expand further into the game. But you know, I like it. If you like Two Point Hospital, there's definitely enough there that crosses over. Um, I wouldn't say that the games feel radically different other than kind of little bits of the pacing. But, like, yeah, I think my bigger, biggest frustration at the moment is, like, the game is constantly giving me all these, like, mini-objectives that I can't complete because I have no way to access those coins. And thankfully, it's not the kind of game where you can purchase those coins with real money. So, good job there. Yeah, it's um, just regular mean instead of, like, insidious mean. Exactly, yeah. Uh, Garden but, variety mean. But it is on Game Pass, so, you know, it's, it's, on... it's there. <laughs> I bought it on PlayStation. Did you buy it? You bought it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is what I get for not even checking these things. I'm a horrible consumer. Oh my god, you're just doing it no, wrong, Garrett. As far as they're concerned, you're the perfect I consumer. am the cautionary tale. I'm the guy that like you, walks you... up to the PS Plus thing and is confused and buys the big one. I'm the guy who buys Two Point Hospital <laughs> on campus yeah. despite already having access to it on Game Pass. Uh, yeah, well, I, it, it is on Game Pass, so don't make the mistake Garrett made. <laughs> I, did also, I, like, I, I do find Two Point Hospital a little more intuitive. Just because, as you mentioned, it is man has big head syndrome, he walks in, gets his head deflated, he is cured, or he dies. The dies part is quite funny too, actually. As opposed to this, where you mentioned like you do have the long-term relationship, and you're like, oh, so they're doing assignments, and how does that work? And it doesn't give you like that nice little instant person in, person out, person in, person out, like dopamine hit that I think Two Point Hospital does, but I, I, I've only played half hour of campus, so I can't really say. Yeah. I, I will say, like, the flip side of that is I think it's just it's a little less stressful because, you know, over the course of um, the the first campus and getting up to the three stars, because, like, the, the overall objective for, like, each campus is to basically turn it into a three-star campus. Um, so there's a bunch of things you have to do to get to that point. And, like, for the most part, you're not going to have, like, more than two or three um, courses on a campus. And so you don't really need to stress as much about, like, you've got six different illnesses that you have to worry about and making sure that you've got six different fucking departments available for each of them um it's not quite as uh like chaotic as that again maybe it is later on i don't know um so you can just kind of focus on right i have like my vr lab now and then um six months into that year all right i i've got other things sorted out i can come back to this vr lab now and i can actually invest in it and i can get it from like rank three to rank five by unlocking a couple of other aspects that fit into that course and into that classroom um so you kind of like pick away and kind of just like add and improve on each of the classes to to improve the ranking so it, it i think it hits a dopamine hit in some ways but i yeah i think that it's a little bit different to two-point hospital um in regards to that but overall yeah if you played any of those management sim games you'll come into this kind of fairly like aware of what it wants you to do and the, the two-point hospital did a very good job of like explaining how everything works and i, I feel like campus does a, a good enough job as well um, but my only concern is that it's going to spend so long like teaching you all the different parts of the game that like seven or eight hours in we're still doing that and i kind of like I don't tend to like that in my games. I kind of want to know within the first hour or so. But 
Um, you know, this is way more slower paced than that. Probably well, by design. I do think it's well designed for console as well. I think it's pretty intuitive for a game that is probably best played like point and click on PC in terms of like laying out the hospital and all that. I do think it works pretty well on console. Yeah, I'm sure they have that in mind. I, I'm playing on PC. Uh, literally, I don't even need the keyboard. I can just do everything on the mouse, mm. which is uh, which is great. Which is probably the... Uh, I wonder, it, because I, I read a Switch review that said it, it did have some performance troubles, which is why I went for it on PS5. I wonder, does it have touch controls on PS... Or on Switch? It probably does. I think the two-point hospital did, so I'd be surprised if it did. Dave, you had, you had two-point hospital on Switch, didn't you? Yes, I did. That's where we played it on a plane once, Mark. Yeah, that was just That's before where... the uh, the world went to shit, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that was the last thing we did before the apocalypse. Yeah, did that did that have like performance issues, touchscreen controls? Do you remember anything um, about that game? Do you remember that time three years ago? Yeah, that sort of like with everything that happened afterwards, I I I scarcely remember my time with it. And then <laughs> once the pandemic did start, I didn't want to play a game where I was running a hospital. <laughs> funnily enough, fair. Yeah. Um, but I, I remember enjoying my time with it. I don't remember anything like I think maybe there was a couple of hitches when I was playing it with the frame rate. Uh, when there'd be a lot of people doing things on the screen, like a lot of patients coming into the hospital and stuff like that. But I don't remember anything overly uh, egregious mm. about the performance of it at the time. Yeah, I mean, like I've had up to a hundred students on the campus, and I haven't had any issues. So. Um... At least that version can handle that many moving parts. But I remember with Two Point Hospital, yeah, you could end up with like a lot of people coming and going, um, constantly but... building GPs' offices. Yeah. <laughs> so that's me. That's me for the week, gentlemen. Um, every so often, a game comes along that completely wasn't on your radar before and and sideswipes you, um, and takes your attention. Um, and that is a game I'm going to talk to you about today called Cult of the Lamb. I haven't played this yet. Uh, I bought it last night. Yeah. But like the, the same thing happened to me listening to the MinMax show this week where they talked pretty effusively and interestingly about it. And I was like, buy it. I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so on the face of it, Cult of the Lamb is a roguelike um, dungeon crawler. Um, the story of the game, such as it is, is that you are a lamb the last of his kind, who is about to be sacrificed to the four bishops of the old faith. When as the, I can't remember whether it's a sword or an axe, is swung, the screen whites out and you're in this kind of liminal space between states of being, uh, to borrow a phrase from Bo Burnham, um, and you meet this, um, this god who is called the one who waits. And he says, I will restore your life. I will I will put you back in the world, but you must do one thing for me. You must start a cult and gain followers uh, in my name. And your character agrees and gets a, a funky hat <laughs> to denote his new allegiance to the one who waits. Um, and you go back into the world and then you go through these um, dungeons that are, again, it's roguelike, so they're procedurally generated. Um, but it's not just um, that type of game. It balances being that game and also a base building game. The loop of the game is that you do a run. Um, the run, unlike, you know, similar games that have, because um, I'm not, I don't always get grabbed by these games, but occasionally you get like a Dead Cells, which I've talked before on the show, which like the style or something about it gets me in. Um, the runs are only about like 10 to 15 minutes long. But what it does then is it kind of like 
hands off then to the base building element. So you have like this hub world, which is your base. You go through a loop. Each loop, each run is four stages long. At the fourth stage of which is a boss battle. You go through the loop to get cult followers uh, free. And then you bring them back to your hub. You convert them. And then you set them about different tasks um, to help you gather resources, um, build out your cult, um, build different, you know, uh, shrines or churches or like... uh, facilities you need uh for the cult and you're kind of balancing that right i'm gonna go for a run and i'm gonna get like different resources beat enemies get more cult followers but also i'm trying to manage the the devotion and the hunger and stuff like that of the followers i already have um it's not the if you're like really hardcore into your um roguelikes it's kind of the normal difficulty probably won't sate you that much and from every even the people who are like really over the top uh, effusive as you said Garrett with their praise of the game will tell you that once you do about 12-13 hours hit the end credits you're kind of like instead of what you're maybe used to sometimes in that genre of like I've beaten the game but I still want to keep doing runs uh, once you hit the proper end of the game uh, everybody says you're kind of like yeah I've I've kind of had enough and people say that like it's a negative thing but honestly to me that is a massive thumbs up uh, that is something I want to hear I don't want to I have so much in my pile of shame I don't want to be stuck in something that's keeping me doing loops for months because I have literally just shaken off Stardew Valley to play this I'm game I'm nodding furiously so here Dave it's like oh yeah. the game is over then it's over I'm this like game needs four times x normal game in post uh, post game content is a trend I kind of hate because like when you see it's like oh the game is great but it didn't have much post game it's like well the the game is over (laughs) the game just ended that's fine you can just move on to another game we do not need games to be endless experiences the two things that are really immediately grabbed me about it that made me want to try it are the art style which i would describe as kind of like um hollow knight with more color to it like there's definitely a splash of a real splash of color to it um, the music in it is fantastic. I think you're going to really like the music in it, Garrett. Um, and yeah, starting to play it. And like the combat is fairly basic. There's like, you get these tarot cards throughout the game when you, you, you encounter the... I think it's the, I can't remember whether they're called the fortune teller or what their actual name is. Uh, but you get these tarot cards, which are like uh, buffs and curses that you can um, inflict on people. So there's like a special button, uh, one button for combat with your melee combat with your weapon, and then one uh, dodge roll button. And definitely on the normal difficulty, which is the one that once you've played the tutorial level, the developers recommend a difficulty level for you. And at normal, I will say, um, a lot of the attacks in the first hour or two, uh, by the enemies, uh, are fairly well telegraphed. It's more of, um, the, the challenge of the combat so far is more one of those where you're managing where everybody is on the map and dodge rolling so that they don't kind of cluster around you. Cause once they cluster around you, even if they're telegraphing the attacks, you kind of can't get out of the way of them. But in what might be the most unbelievably niche award I have ever given a game, you will not find a better dodge roll in a video game this oh year. Um, I I think this I I like I I trying to get more kind of like what people thought of it. I was watching. 
I can't remember I was watching some YouTube review of it and they described the Dodge Roll as having a snap to it and that is the best way to put it it is a zippy Dodge Roll it is great it feels really satisfying to as somebody is swinging with a sword hit this Dodge Roll and basically pop up really quickly on the other side of them swing your sword or swing your axe uh, and away you go um yeah, I'm still, like, only a few loops in, like I said, less than two hours into this game. But, um, this is a sleeper hit for me. Where are you, where I am you playing not, this on? Uh, Switch. Right. But it, but it is on everything. Yeah. It is yeah. on PlayStation, Xbox, Windows, Switch, um, you name it, they got it. Um, the thing that sold me on I, this game, listening to the podcast review of it, was apparently there's, I'm not sure there's a power-up or what, but if you die in the, like the the combat section, you can sacrifice one of your followers to bring yourself back yes. to life. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's Which makes thing. me look incredibly like, sadistic. That is like, yes, that yeah. is what is going to get me to buy this game. But it sounds so, so cool. Yeah. Here is one of the other things from the yeah. So like your followers are interesting because they add like having more followers, increasing their devotion, making sure they don't because like if you don't provide supplies for them from your runs, they will starve. And their devotion will drop. And they can as like well turn because, on you, you know, and like there's the... insidious people yeah. in the camp who will be like, yeah. "He's not all he says he it's, is." It's really cool, and like you said, you can then like you can ultimately use them to build out your cult and gain resources for you by like putting them on menial tasks while you're away doing your runs, or you can sacrifice them in order to get more life. Um, which is a really cool mechanic. But the other thing, and this is something that was pointed out in, I think, the IGN review that I hadn't actually thought of, but I was like, yeah, that actually is really cool. So in a lot of these base building games or where like where you're trying to build up a group of, you know, not, you know, followers is what they call them in this game, where you're building up a, a group of people, um, usually a lot of the customization options uh, for your, your group would be fairly limited and you'd have to, like, unlock through runs and stuff like that. No, like... Immediately when you get the first cult follower, you can customize fucking everything about them, like their name, their appearance, what they're wearing, pick a particular color. You can even and choose the animals you there, the can't you? Yes, yes. You, and it allows you the freedom then, Garrett, to like, you can start having, uh, denoting your cult followers by like, you know, your favorite cult followers <laughs> could be like one type of animal in one type of fairly garish and nice looking dress. And then you could leave your other, your cult followers who are lower down the totem pole, in your opinion, wearing fucking rags and call them like all sorts of names, I assume. Um, it's a really clever little game. Like, I don't think as if it was just a base builder game, I don't think there's enough for it to be a sensational base builder game. As a roguelite by itself, I don't think it's enough to be a like a transcendent one of those either. But I think the way in which it's almost like a relay race between the two is like, okay, you've had a little bit of this, now we hand off and we go into this type of game. And that particular loop, I think, is really, really engrossing and intriguing to me. Um... And again, that's why I thought this is going to be an absolute Garrett game because you could get, um, if like once you've gotten in the swing of things, you could get a run of the four levels, the boss battle, um, and back to kind of distribute the the wealth and the resources you've gained on that run in about the time that the Garrett kidney method allows. <laughs> this is a game built for fifteen minute loops. Yeah. You could, like, and and that's, like, for me, for commuting or, or for, like, I'm just looking to knock off something and not get, um like, too engrossed in something. I can just, like, pop this on, play a quick session of Cult of the Lamb and pop out. Um, 
I think this is going to start like going fairly high up my list for this year and it is already in terms of like style uh visual presentation and uh music it's going to be getting a nomination for me in the both of those categories i would imagine um really good looking game really good sounding game uh perhaps because i know i'm coming off stardew's this is the back of my mind but uh perhaps the best um since stardew the best uh foley work on axe chopping Ooh. wood i've That's heard what you because the stardew one the Stardew one might be my number one of all time in that incredibly niche category. I mean, you spent at least half the game fucking chopping wood in that game, yeah. so this it wants to be good. Cult of the Lamb has a really good thunk to your uh, your chopping down of trees. Um, is it the? Is it the? Uh, you might be too early on at this point, but like in terms of you getting better at the game, is it a you get permanent buffs or is it you just have to get better so at the, the game? The as far as I know, the tarot's are permanent buffs, but at the start of every run, the weapon you get for the run is randomized. Okay. Um. So the one I keep that's, getting that's that I really like a, love a binding of Isaac kind of mechanic. Yeah. Game. The the one I really like is the axe. But there is also, from what I'm told, there are... I haven't had... There's gloves uh, that are apparently not great. And there's a hammer that deals, like, huge damage, but is inc- it slows down your movement speed. Um, but the buffs are, are permanent, as far as I know. Um, the loop, by the way, so you're, what you've got to do is there are four types of world. And there are four, kind of, the, the four bishops basically of the old faith and the idea is you defeat each one of them because all of them um are holding a chain to this the the god that you are now subservient to um so you beat all of them and it frees this this god is the idea um but from what i hear is like yeah the like the the lore stuff and the story is 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 cool and all that but it's not what you're there for but from what it sounds like by the people who've gotten to the end of it it's more like the satisfying loop is what people like about it so you've got like the the four like bosses you have to go to but like the paths on the way there are they procedurally generated or yeah yeah okay so the the only like from what i understand and from what i've done so far it's like you will go into like so when i i went to my 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 cult hang uh, to do a couple of tasks after the tutorial and then it goes hey the worlds have opened up for you to go back to the to the to look for these guys the bishops of the old faith um and you go to this area where there's four doors and the first world is is the one that opens for you to start doing loops in the first world um and the only thing when you get in there is like obviously there'll be like a theme to the world um so the theme will be vaguely similar um and it will always be like four links in the chain to get you to the very end where you f- uh, free a cult follower and battle a boss but in between there the maps uh the the enemies you face all that stuff is randomly generated um so it's cool because you know it's it, it no two runs are quite alike but also again you know that's something you get elsewhere but the thing that appeals to me and it sounds like it really appeals to Gareth is that they are short snappy runs the sadistic um, ruling a cult is the thing that appeals to me frankly yeah 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 and I, I, I you are Gareth you are I took like so many screenshots at the start of this because like that lamb let me tell you is an absolute boss um, and some of the characters in it, like some of the character designs are really good. The the character animations as they're talking and stuff are really good. Um, yeah, I've, I didn't expect to love this game as much as I did. I kind of, when I get these types of games, usually it's like a, a as close as I get to a Garrett Kidney mm. method. 
<laughs> you know, um, I thought there's a high chance I'll bounce off this, but because it looks and sounds so good, I've got to give it a go. It's like twenty four ninety nine, I think. Um, but you know, dude, I, it's, it's real fucking good. I've been staring at fucking Rogue Legacy for like the last three months, thinking, oh yeah, at some point I'm going to get to that, and now I have another Rogue Light that I need to look at. But I mean, yeah. if time, like if time is a concern of yours, this might be the one to go first. <sighs> Yeah, well, I, I don't know exactly. Like, I didn't look much into Rogue Legacy other than just people saying, hey, it's very, very good. And I'm still... I still have a fatigue with roguelites where I don't really want to jump into them unless, you know, they are, like, Hades-tier quality. Um, yeah. But, I don't know. From, I mean, I certainly... I did see reviews that were saying that this, uh, this does seem like an exceptional game, so... Probably going to have to throw it on the old Switch and uh, jump into that and add another game to the seven or eight that I currently have on the go at the moment. I'm I'm very excited. I'm a real fan. Like, I bought this last night and I was I, like, I'm... all right, so I could watch an episode of Sandman or I could start this. I decided on Sandman, but that's I'm probably going to play it immediately after this podcast. I am actually, yeah, I want to hear, like, definitely on the podcast next week, but uh, pop into the group chat later, Garrett, because I, I want to hear... Uh, if this grabs you the way it's grabbed me. I mean, maniacally um, often yeah. dissenter is in my group. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty damn good. It's pretty damn good. Um, right, I suppose, uh, Garrett, it's time for Xenoblade Yeah, Corner. I'm actually, like, hotter on this game than I thought I'd be. Because, like, I joked calling a 2022 Game of the Year Xenoblade Chronicles 3, and, like... <laughs> you, you've you declared 2022 <laughs> Game of the Year at least three times. Well, you see, I went through a rough phase of playing a bunch of games that I didn't like. So, like, I played stuff like Ghostwire Tokyo, which was really boring. I played a game called Tunic, Dave. It's not very good. And I played all these... I was <laughs> so good to you last week, and this is how you repay me. Fucking so, hell. like, when I played Stanley, and I played, like, uh, Live Alive, and now I'm playing this, like... I have real problems with the other two Xenoblade games that I don't have with this one. I'm actually enjoying the combat. I'm enjoying the exploration. I'm enjoying the world. I'm like, do I like love this game? And I think I might love this game. Again, I'm again only 18 hours into this game. So it's about five hours further than I was last week. But like, there's really cool side quests in this game, which is exceedingly rare. You go around, you get a new character from all of them that you can put in your team, which is pretty neat. And also you get like full animated cutscenes for all of them. So it's not just, you know, go fetch this item, bring it back. It's like, go kill one of the big enemies, do a bunch of cutscenes, do a bunch of like training students. To... It's, they're different and varied. And as I said, like have like fully animated cut, fully like Xenoblade quality animated cutscenes, which if you've ever seen them, they're bonkers. Uh, yeah, I like. I don't have a ton more to say that I didn't say last week, other than I'm really, really enjoying this game and like enjoying it more than the other two in the series, and more than I expected to, and even more than I was last week. So yeah, very high on Xenoblade Chronicles Three. I think it's a real cool game. I don't want to get into a full game of the year debate again like we did last week. But <laughs> don't it, you it tell me Xenoblade said. Chronicles Three is ineligible. I will trash it. <laughs> That's not quite the angle I was going to pitch at you, but um, 2022 is turning out to be a pretty baller year. Like, I was looking at my top 10, which I already had filled out, and I'm like, I know there are going to be other things that I have to play this year. And I'm like, I'm looking at my top 10 list, and it's like, I, they're going to have to be, you know, because usually when we get to making our, our kind of nominations at the end of the year, like, there are concessions that we have to make for each other. But I'm looking at my own list thinking I have to make my own concessions and I don't know where they're going to come from yet. 
Can I just say, uh, as I have been so flat out with work uh, the last week, I usually do listen to the shows when I'm not on them because I can finally enjoy the podcast without listening to myself. Um, but is the game of the year topic you're in reference to? Did the great live alive debate happen in my absence? It, it, it's still yes. sitting in a, a, a state of limbo in terms of a decision, but yes, it did. <laughs> It's not, Gareth. It's not. You see, I mentioned, it's, it's I mentioned last week it's that I, like, I was fully willing to give up on that until Dave was like, yes, it's in. as nope. like, well... <laughs> nope. Nope. It's I, in. I, I was it's saying... Um, Simple as. Because there's, there's like two sides of the same coin here in terms of like yeah. two games that I, was, I, I wasn't I was sure how we would go with it. Live Alive being one, Stanley Parable being the other. Mm. And I'm more, I am more on the side of that Live Alive is eligible because I completely forgot the ruling that, you know, yeah. Japanese yeah. games. But, That's... Yeah. That that's my thing is like if it wasn't for the fact that like our rule literally spells out, I'd I'd hear the argument because Jack was just like not having it when we said it. But what I what I was he, he thought he was getting psychonauts again. <laughs> but what I, what I was saying last week though is that at some point in the next like month or so, and maybe you know once Barry's played it, he can come on and we can have the discussion. We just need a half hour like a slot where we just talk about Stanley Parable and actually make a decision on if it's eligible or not. I still err on the side that I don't think it does, but I want to wait until we have that slot there with all of us to have that conversation. So, do you know what would be great? Oh, right. I, like, this is like an on-air production meeting, right? It's not like we didn't have one of those for twenty minutes last week, Garrett. What if, um, what if, like, to hype up Game of the Year this year, we start December with the Game of the Year qualifying <laughs> rounds for the edge cases? Oh, Jesus. We legislate all the edge cases on one show oh. and just be done with it so that we don't take up four hours of the runtime by trying to get, like, somebody trying to write in a game that we already said was out. Dave, we were already at each other's throats before we even started the final fucking, like, Game of the Year rounds last yeah, year. Yeah, we, we get all and the now animosity now adding... out beforehand, Mark. See, it's a, it's a foolproof yeah. strategy. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now we're adding the real Chaos Project, Garrett <laughs> yeah. Kidney, to the equation. God. The original Death Dealer himself. Well, that that is a conversation we can take off air, because I... Yeah. I I'm too warm we'll to have here. that conversation now. I was like, much? That seems like the perfect, like, vulnerable so position to take you in. It's like, Mark, make the decision now. You can get out of the heat if you yeah. just allow Live Alive into Game of the Year. I, I fucking said last week, and I'm saying this week, I'm more, like, in alignment with Live Alive as being eligible than I am Stanley. All right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, again, as I keep saying to you, it's not going to fucking win. No, so, we yeah. are arguing about games that are going to finish at best like five to ten. <laughs> it depends. I could be a real dark horse on it, but we'll we'll see what happens when I actually properly play Live Alive. Um, right. Uh, let's go to the news. And uh, Mark, I'm going to come to you for the the first one. Um, beef between uh, Bungie. Uh, and a cheat maker? Yeah, so I, I felt like this is an interesting story because um, while it's obviously, you know, specific between Bungie and cheat maker aim junkies, I do think that a lot of what is going on here can set like wider ramifications for publishers and developers and, uh, you know, ongoing uh, cheat makers and whatnot that you know, they're all the rage in the industry at the moment. But basically, the story is. Destiny 2 cheat maker Aim Junkies has fired back at Bungie, issuing sub, sub I can never say this word. Subpoenas? Subpoenas. Subpoenas. What? Subpoenas. That's the, the word. The B is silent. Jesus. 
to obtain information to back up that its work isn't copyright infringement. Uh, so earlier this year, Bungie alleged copyright infringement and breach of contract against AIM Junkies for its Destiny 2 hacks, but the court dismissed much of the case. Bungie was allowed more time to reinstate its case and a few weeks later alleged that AIM Junkies had reverse engineered and copied the software code for Destiny 2. AIM Junkies has now returned fire, stating its software is similar to Steam overlays and other available products uh, in a press release shared with Torrent Freak. It also disputes causing Bungie grievous harm to Destiny through its software. Um, so it also accused Bungie of attempting to make cheating illegal because they cannot govern their own players. Uh, Bungie recently won a court case against another cheat company, uh, Elite Boss Tech, which was awarded to pay $13.5 million in damages. Now, there are two parts of this um, that, like, I think, again, are interesting for both this case and for other um, publishers and developers going on the same thing. There is a fair argument to make that uh, publishers, uh, and I won't name others, but you can probably guess or, you know, read about it, who have used that whole idea of copyright infringement to, shall we say, egregious degrees um for making like you know certain lawsuits or cases that maybe in some aspects are technically true but are also just being done as just like a bullshit way because you know whatever it is that they don't like fuck it just throw a copyright strike at it and be done with it um the other aspect of this is the idea of like you know if a publisher says hey we are suing these people um for you know loss of financial income it is hard to exactly quantify how you come up with a number based on whatever. And I'm sure that they have, you know, accountants and lawyers to come up with a number based on whatever. But it's still not exactly, you know, an accurate sum. Um, there's no, like, definitive equation that comes up with that number. So, like, obviously, you know, in the case of AIM Junkie and other che cheetah manufacturers, like, the, the, there is two things here saying, hey, you can't fucking do a copyright strike. This is bullshit. And... You know the the story kind of talks more about it but i just i think that depending on what happens with this i do think that there is a kind of and as is the case with lawsuits that they can have wider um implications for like the rest of the industry so yeah i don't know uh garrett like if you had heard about this or like wow, whose side are you on on this one it entirely depends on the kind of cheats they're in, uh, uh, making available because mm. like competitive multiplayer games where companies and i know bungie or destiny isn't a competitive multiplayer it's more a community shooter it's a looter shooter but i know like there there has been an absolute nightmare time with team fortress 2 in terms of bots in that game making it unplayable and i know there's a lot of issues around the i think the original title fall titanfall and i think even titanfall 2 about a similar issue where like people are hacking games like that and making it just difficult for people who just want to enjoy those games to play those games so i think as a general rule i'm not going to decide with side with the people who help others cheat at competitive games even if here it seems like destiny are chasing up the wrong tree and bungie in particular mm. Dave, what about yeah. you? What... No, yeah, no, like, I, I can't... Yeah, it, like, when I always get, like, red flags about when cheats come into competitive multiplayer games, because I, I know, like, when... 
there have been multiple occasions in the past where somebody has figured out a, a way around or a loophole or a, a cheat or an exploit uh, in a competitive multiplayer game that has like basically soured a whole community and people just run off like a sinking ship or a lot of people use an exploit at that and it completely unbalances the game ruins it for everybody else so i kind of like similar a, a common is... thing happened uh, uh, recently with uh, neon white in terms of like yeah. the pc leaderboards being fucked because like you know yeah top hundreds were just doing it in half a second or whatever yeah so i like in it, like that's me trying to put on my like as a, a user of, of games i can totally understand why you would want to be zero tolerance about you know that being a possibility but like i also always when things get litigious for people making cheats or making mods as well um because that that's something we've had over recent years as well is you know the much maligned modding community getting you know uh things shut or monetized by the developer and them not seeing a penny i always balk at it as well um i think our tone could yeah. be summed up with that onion the worst person in the world makes a good point headline <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's like, am I agreeing with a developer here? I, mm, or am I agreeing I, with like, the no, people like, who make the cheats, who I also hate? It's like, yeah, oh. Yeah. I, I will say, Whoever wins, yeah. we lose, I will, sort of thing. I will yeah. say, it is quite bold of the cheat maker to come out with a statement saying, we have offered to work with Bungie to acquire multiple solutions to their problem. Foremost, we believe, would be to implement our features in a version of their game for distribution, but their pride and bully mentality prohibits them from thinking out of the As box. if, like, Bungie couldn't do that themselves. It's like, oh, we couldn't possibly have a game mode where it's easier. We, co we couldn't do that. We, co we don't have the technical know-how to do that. The only thing, like, when uh, a case is, like, already working its way through, like, putting out an incendiary statement like that, the only thing that I could think would be dumber is, like, if you're in the middle of a... Um, a, a lawsuit about things you said on your show and in the middle of that trial you go on your show and call the judge in the case some sort of goblin um but i don't know i don't know who or, would do or, that or if like you know your lawyer accidentally sends your entire chat text history to the opposing side yeah don't know don't know yeah, uh, yeah. that's the only thing i could think like and i i like that's really unrealistic that any human being would ever do that but but anyway um let's move on um in what i think will be the 400th garrett kidney game of 2022 <laughs> um splatoon 3 is out soon and garrett um we're getting a demo later this month Tell yeah us more. so if you remember the original splatoon had this i think splatoon 2 had it as well that they were called the global test fires this is i think they have a different name for it but it's basically a splatfest before the game comes out so you can test the game and it, so they can test the servers really that's what's actually happening here but uh yeah they had the splatoon direct that's it's not like the revolutionary thing i think people were very much looking for something in this that is you know totally fresh totally new totally different from splatoon 1 and 2 and there's nothing really here it's more hey we have more weapons we have more stages our modes are more fleshed out our online systems are better our hub world is more fleshed out so it, it's very much more splatoon the only real like big new feeling thing is the change to the splatfests which will now be uh, three teams 
teams instead of two. So you will be choosing from rock, paper, scissors, I believe, for the, the test fire one they're doing at the end of this month. And they're changing the format, so you will do the regular two-on-two two for the first half of it, or, well, it's four-on-four, four, but between two of the teams for the first half of it. And then the second half of it will be the team that's winning will be four people versus two from either side of the losing team. So it'll be a three-way Splatfest instead, or a turf war instead of a two-way, which seems pretty neat. It sounds like a G1 finals night or something. <laughs> I'm, ex- I'm explaining the G1 math. I'm Dave Meltzer. Let me shuffle my papers. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. I, uh, like, you know, you say a lot of people are looking for something entirely revolutionary, but, like, honestly, I kind of just want, like, Splatoon 2, but a little bit tighter new stages and new weapons. So what you just said to me there is, like, yeah. I'm ready to jump yeah, and back I lo- in. Like, we talk about competitive um, multiplayer games, which is the reason I'm like, cheaters suck, because like Splatoon's the one competitive multiplayer game I like, because, as I always say, it's the game where you can be productive by shooting the floor. Ideal for me and my skill set. Uh, so if, <laughs> if you had a bunch of people ruining Splatoon, I'd be like, no, leave me alone, this is my one game. But yeah, I'm on board with Splatoon 3. It, it does look like, you know, just more Splatoon, but Splatoon rocks, and it'll have a new single-player campaign, and the single-player campaign's in, the, all, in both of the Splatoon games and the Octo expansion DLC. Great. Like, real good level design. I I am very excited for us to, the, the four of us, the three of us and Jack, to hop on a Zoom and hop on some Splatoon together. Well, we were going to do um, it at Mario Strikers, but then never came to yeah. have to surpass. Yeah, yeah, but that yeah, game wasn't very yeah. good, so. Well, no, it is. It's, like, it's mechanically sorry. fun, okay. but still, it's. I think what you're driving at, Garrett, it's no, not Splatoon. Not. Splatoon rocks. No, no, you're fair. You are not a squid now. You I, are like, not a kid listen, now. Like Mario Strikers <laughs> is a, a nice looking game. The animations for the supers is good. Like, but yeah. just the vibe of Splatoon is the best. That like early two yeah. thousand skater culture match with the shooter. They they're still like rolling that out with like a post apocalyptic side to it now and i i just mm. love splatoon i think it's one of the the coolest games just in terms of like the world the vibe and the aesthetic it is like for nintendo it is one of the the kind of best new things they've come out with um mm. sort of like in the last 10 years by far also it's yeah. come out with the character name crusty sean <laughs> which is still the best <laughs> character name of all time crusty sean is a play on crustacean his name is crusty sean Crusty, Crusty Jean, <laughs> Jesus! It's like McGee after a night Way. out in Dublin. Let's <laughs> <laughs> nice see if he's listened to this week's episode. Uh, but I, I was going to say they are also, I, as far as I'm aware, they're um, allowing you to transfer data data over from Sp- uh, Splatoon Two. Yeah, I think um, it's, you get some free stuff. Which, yeah, so I was I was kind of worried that like you know you have people who've been playing Sp- Splatoon Two constantly for the last like five years, and I'm just kind of worried about like how that might skew sort of levels or whatnot. But if it's just like, hey, you get some free stuff, then that's awesome. And, you know. Yeah, and like, like, um, I imagine yeah. most of like, the ranks and stuff will restart just so people aren't like wildly mismatched. You would hope start. so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah it, like all the modes are back. Salmon Run is back, which is like the, the uh, Horde Rush mode, which I think is real cool. I, think, I, thought, I thought that was really neat. And they seem to have a new like every two or three month event thing where... The, the main hub world is overrun by salmon and we'll see how that works out the, the the new salmon run thing they have going yeah there's like a bunch of like small new things instead of big new things but i will take small new things because platoon is cool mm, absolutely um our final news story this is a really interesting one because i saw this trailer pop up on my twitter feed which might be how you guys discovered it as well so i saw this trailer pop up for Hey, it's a cutesy-looking soccer RPG uh, called Soccer Story. I was like, "Oh, we're this is finally the sequel to 
golf story coming out and then you read about it and it's like it's fucking not um from this this new story at nintendo life so after the critical success of mario golf um inspired rpg golf story from developer sidebar games we're all wondering just when we're going to get to play the next major release which was already announced sports story with the game seemingly in limbo at the moment with no word on a release date and if you can't really wait till then then soccer story from publisher no more robots might be able to fill the void if i mark was sidebar games right about now and I saw, because not only, right, so you see that it's a soccer RPG, but within a couple of seconds as well, you see that, like, it's not just, soccer's not the only sport that's in this soccer RPG as well. I would be feeling pretty aggrieved that I had just had my idea for a game that I'd already announced fucking gazumped. Yeah, the- I mean, like, you'd have to think that with the success of Golf Story, um, I, I was kind of surprised that we didn't hear, like, this sort of thing um kind of come out like you know a year after golf stories release and to be honest going back to 2003 or whatever i'm kind of annoyed that we hadn't already had a bunch of like mario golf rpg or mario golf game boy advance esque style games in the years uh, uh, preceding that anyway so you know finally the industry is catching up to what is true and right in the world you are right, though. I'd imagine that Sidebar is, is probably a little bit ticked. Um, but at the same time, like, hey, where is that game? You know, what are they doing? It's They, they have kind of gone a bit radio silent with that recently. So um, maybe in, in some ways, maybe it won't be an issue because when is a uh, God, when was the, the release date? It's oh, it doesn't have a release date yet. So I, I guess the thing that's going to probably be now the factor is like, you know, does uh soccer story does that come out at some point this year and if you know sports story is probably coming out at some point next year then it probably doesn't matter too much but as as both or as neither have a confirmed release date at the moment um you're kind of wondering if like both are now looking at each other like sort of like you know playing chicken to see who announces a release date first and then working around that but it looks cool it looks great i mean i love golf story um i'm i'm hyped for sports story but like this looks great as well so i'm, I'm all on board for this scratch the itch uh what about you garrett does this uh appeal to you in any way because like i'm thinking the mini game nature of it um would very much i'm thinking garrett kidney method here if they had just called this game like sumptuous soccer simulator i i think you know people would have looked and it's like that's eh, a little like golf story but you know it's its own thing the fact that they called it soccer story yeah. it's it's particularly fucking I, I'm brazen sorry, isn't it go to jail <laughs> like <laughs> they're like we're gonna call it soccer story fuck off like come on mark can you can you get onto the patent office for i'm sorry go to jail merch <laughs> like they called it soccer story <laughs> That, that yeah. and there's your Gary Kidney promo just for the week. Come on, like yeah. it doesn't look as good because it's 3D instead of 2D, and the 2D pixel out of golf story is nicer. But I'm sure it'll yeah. be a fine little game. But no, no, you can't, you can't let them get away with that. They just can't. Wow, Gary Kidney noted golf story. Defender. I love golf story. That game fucking but rocks. It's great. It's tremendous. Golf, golf story is great. Yeah. Um, what if they just call it like even better than <laughs> golf story? By the way, golf story only good HD rumble game. Well, maybe not only one, but it's probably the best. Are 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 you saying count the ice cubes <laughs> in your glass in one two switch isn't doing no. it for you? 
Because if you play if you play Golf Story, the way it uses HD Rumble is to like punctuate jokes, which is the best use of Rumble <laughs> I've ever seen. So like if there's a joke that has like a womp womp kind of reaction, they'll like simulate that in the Rumble, and it's fantastic. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I did see um, in the developers' tweets when they were announcing this, someone said, "Hey, you could have gone with Football Fables." But I guess said, uh, if they called it literally anything else, they'd get away with it. And people, as I said, people would be like, oh, you know, it looks a little like that other one, but it's its own thing. But the name, no, 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 no. Here's uh, our game. Dog, I'm, I'm afraid. Here is our game. Definitely not sports <laughs> story. God damn it. Um, on that note, uh, we're going to leave it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening in uh, to another episode of Link to the Cast. At Link to the Cast, where you need to follow us on Twitter. Uh, tell us about what you thought about the games, the entertainment, whatever else we've been watching or playing this week, and what you think we should be watching and playing for next week. Uh, individually, I'm at the day to Dave. Mark is at Lithium Project. The absent Jack Lazell is at Jack Lazell. And Garrett is at Garrett Kidney. Thank you very much. We'll see you again next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>